Shalom. This is Gary Durashinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message big holiday. This is a big festival among the seven major festivals that we read about in the scripture. But there are a number of passages where it is found, five or six times in the Bible. First of all, you'll read of the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, in Leviticus chapter 23. That's one of the most important chapters in all of the Hebrew scriptures, because there we have the seven festivals of Israel, beginning with Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits, and then Pentecost. Those four, or Shavuot, those four festivals all occurring in the springtime, all have relevance to the first coming of our Messiah in his redemptive ministry. And then we go through the summer, and there are no festivals there until we get to the fall. And in the fall, we have the three final festivals, the Feast of Trumpets, which we observe as Rosh Hashanah, then we have Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and this evening we begin to celebrate Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. These three festivals on the back end of the Jewish festivals of Israel have to do with the return of Messiah. When we think of the Feast of Trumpets, we remember that the rapture of the body of believers will occur with the sounding of the trumpet or the shofar. And then we read of the day, and also we're told that the Jewish people in the last days will be gathered from the four corners of the earth into the land of Israel. And the Lord will do this through his angels. It says his angels will be distributed over the four corners of the earth, gather the Jewish people, and this they will do with the sounding of the shofar, or the sounding of the trumpet. So you have the regathering of Israel and you have the taking up of the body of believers connected to the Feast of, of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah or the, uh, that particular festival. And then you have Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, when the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies, sprinkle the blood with his index finger seven times on the mercy seat. One time a year, one individual only, the high priest could enter into that place. And it's God's judgment for sin. And so it speaks of that final period of time prior to the coming of Messiah when the judgment of God will be poured out upon the world. We refer to that as the tribulation period, or at least that's how the book of Revelation speaks of it. 
And then following that time of tribulation, Messiah will come again. He will reign, establish his kingdom on earth. Israel will be regathered. Yeshua will sit on the throne of David and the messianic age will begin for a thousand years, if I understand Revelation chapter 19 correctly. The Feast of Tabernacles is connected with the actual return of Messiah, and it is the celebration of his glory. The return of the Shekinah glory will occur, and during that whole time, there will be just a celebrative rejoicing that God now reigns among his people. So in Leviticus chapter 23, we're told that the Feast of Sukkot is to be observed. What's interesting in that passage is he tells us, that is Moses tells us, it's a seven-day festival. And then in the midst of telling us it's a seven-day festival, he then tells us on the eighth day, you will have a holy convocation. So it's almost as if God has established it to be a seven-day festival, and then he thinks, you know what, we're going to add an extra day so that your celebrating can be extended. And that eighth day is referred to as um, Hosanna Rabbah, that is the great rejoicing, Hosanna Rabbah, the great rejoicing. And to that, the rabbis then said, well, if God adds another day, we're going to add another day. And so the day that is added to the eighth day is Simchat Torah. And they call it the rejoicing over the law because now that we're going to celebrate God's dwelling presence, God has told us to extend it a day to enhance our worship. Then the rabbi said, you know, we're going to add a day to extend our worship even further in reflecting upon the giving of the law. And that's what Simchat Torah is, the rejoicing over the giving of God's word. That we're going to observe next Shabbat, next Saturday here. We'll take the Torah scroll out, we'll march it around, and we'll celebrate it as a symbol of the great gift God has given to us, um, his word, the Bible. That's Leviticus chapter 23. When you move further into the revelation of God's word, we are told that during the Messianic age, the Feast of Tabernacles will then be observed once again, not only by Israel, but by all the nations of the world. And in fact, a warning is given. If any nation does not go up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, that nation will no longer or will not have any rain and will not therefore have its sustenance or enable to grow its crops. This is a fall festival, so this is the time where the fall fruits are being ingathered. And so in Zechariah chapter 14, we're told that if the nations don't come up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, then the judgment that will fall on them is that they will not have any rain. And then if we look at the last passage that deals with the Feast of Tabernacles, it's in the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant Scriptures. And there we read, I think it's in John chapter 7, that the Jew, that. Yeshua's brothers go up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Yeshua does not go with them, but he goes later. And we're told that as he goes up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, at the end of the feast, it says on the great day of the feast, that's Hoshana Rabbah, the day of ultimate rejoicing, the eighth day of the feast. Now, on that eighth day, there are a number of traditions that occur. We've only talked about these passages where the Feast of Tabernacles is found. But there are certain traditions that are unique to the Feast of Tabernacles. There are two unique traditions that are observed. Because the Feast of Tabernacles is a fall festival, and because the rainy season comes in the fall months and winter months in Israel... 
And because in Zechariah we're told that if the nations don't come up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, they will not have any rain. This is a time when the Jewish people pray for rain to come upon the land of Israel. You remember in the time of Elijah that he prayed for three years there would be no rain. But it all has to do with an imagery of judgment. Remember, the land of Israel does not have a lot of water sources. They only have really one major water source. And that is the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River. And the Sea of Galilee is a freshwater body of water that is spring-fed from the snows that melt on Mount Hermon. As the snows melt, that water flows into these underground springs, and they bubble up in in the Sea of Galilee. When I was there back in 79... Shortly after the Jewish people had taken an area that the Syrians had controlled near the Golan Heights area, there was this, uh, in the middle of all these like trees, there was a pool that was built by the Syrian or had been built for the Syrian officers. It was now recaptured by the Israelis. And there were a whole group of people that were just hanging out around this pool that were just diving in. The pool was spring-fed by the waters that were melting from Mount Hermon. And so here we were, it was like in, the, in, the, in June. So it's, it gets very hot in the land of Israel uh, in the summer months. And it was quite warm, even though we were north. And we just dove in. It was like diving into ice-cold water. After a while, your body got used to it. But it was amazing. It was truly amazing. So the land of Israel doesn't have its own major water source. Not like Egypt that has the Nile River or like Babylon that had the Tigris and Euphrates. It only has the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River. How does Israel get water to its farming areas? God said, if you obey me, I will not only give you the former rains or the early rains, the fall rains, the winter rains, but the latter rains, spring rains. And if I give you both the former and latter rains, well, then the crops will double, triple, and quadruple. And so Israel had to look to God in order to provide for its resources, whatever it is. So on the Feast of Tabernacles, because of its focus on rain and God's judgment by keeping it from falling, or God's blessing by giving us the former and latter rains. One of the traditions that the Jewish people observed in the temple during temple times was that the priests would exit from the temple mount. They'd go out the southern gate of Jerusalem or the southern gate of the temple. If you've ever been to Jerusalem and the temple area where there's all kinds of archaeological discoveries these days, on the south side you have all those steps that lead down into the uh, valley of Hinnon, the Hinnon Valley. And those steps, by the way, I don't remember the number, 18, 22, something like that, but Josephus tells us the exact number of steps that led up to these arches that, through which the Jewish people would enter the temple or exit it. And when archaeologists uncovered it, it was exactly as Josephus had described. Well, during temple times and during the time of Messiah, the priests, a group of priests, would have been sent out the southern gate. And one of those gates, or archways, was so entitled the water gate. Now, if I was in D.C. and we were in 1970s, that, you know, that would be a whole other story. But they go out the water gate because of the tradition I'm going to tell you about. When they'd come out of this southern gate, down the steps, they would come into the old city of Jerusalem, the city of David. 
Today, it's an Arab village known as Silvois. But if you go down there, you will find that's where Hezekiah's tunnel is. And that's where Hezekiah's water source is. And Hezekiah's tunnel and the water that flowed through flowed into the Pool of Siloam. The Pool of Siloam is significant because whenever a king was anointed in Israel, they would take the water from the Pool of Siloam, pour it over the head of the king, and that was one of the ways that he was anointed. On this occasion, priests would go to the Pool of Siloam and they would draw out water. They would bring it back to the temple. And there were another group of priests that had erected these silver tubes that flowed down to the sides of the sacred altar. And there were ladders leading up to these two tubes on the two sides of the altar. And there was one group of priests that would be bringing the water from the Pool of Siloam up to the top and dumping it through the, the, uh, these tubes, and it would flow to the base of the altar. On the other side, there were a group of priests that would climb the altar, get to the top, and they would pour wine through these tubes that would come to the base of the altar on the other side. Wine was a symbol of joy. And as they would pour out this water, they would be reciting all these psalms, Psalms 120 to 135 or so, the psalms of ascent. There were 15 steps that led up to the altar. And as they ascended those steps, they would read the psalms of ascent, Psalms 120 to 135 or so. And as they were reciting those psalms, and as the priests were making their way to the top, pouring oil and pouring water, there was another group of priests that were constructing a little tabernacle, like you saw coming in, a little tabernacle on the top of the altar. Because this is a time where to dwell in booths, and so the altar itself would have a tabernacle constructed around it, or on top of it. As that was being done, then there was another group of priests that were circling the altar. And in their hand, they would have what is known as the lulav and these various greens. Jewish people today, everyone in the synagogue would have a pair like this. And during portions of the worship service, they would be shaking them. They would shake them to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And the reason they do that is they're beseeching God to bless our land. And the reason they have these particular, by the way, this found in Leviticus 23, we're told that God commands that they have these uh, different fruit and these various leaves. They have the fruit, the citron, because we're to be reminded of all the fruit that God has provided in this wonderful land, the land of Israel. Grapes and apples and lemons and limes and pomegranates and all kinds of stuff that is just amazing. And then in addition to the citron, they have these different uh, items as well. First of all, you have the palm branches. And the palm branches are to remind us of the mountains that are in Israel. You know, Jerusalem sits on a mountain. It's called Mount Moriah. You have Mount Hermon in the north, about 7,000 feet above sea level. Okay, it's not the Rockies, but for the Middle East, it's a pretty good, pretty good sized mountain. And it's our water source. Between the, the branches of the palm branches, we're to remember all the valleys that are a part of the land of Israel, like the Kidron Valley that separates the Mount of Olives from the city of Jerusalem on the east, or the Valley of Hinnon on the south, or the Tyrophian Valley on the west. Then we're to remember, and I'm not sure which one is which, so you'll have to forgive me if there are any 
botanists? Is that what we call them? Botanists? You know? You, any botanists here? Good. Then, uh, then none of us know. But one of these is a willow branch. This is my guess. And one of them is a myrtle branch. And the willow and the myrtle branch is to remind us of the vegetation that grows along the riverbeds, like the Jordan River. Or in Israel, you don't have a lot of rivers, but what you have are wadis. And wadis are little canyons that during the spring, they become riverbeds, and during the summer, they're dry beds. And so this is to sort of remind us of all the different terrain that the land of Israel's made. Did you know? that the land of Israel has nine different kinds of terrain in it. It is like one of the most diverse areas in all of the world. Some have called them nine different climate zones. And it's just a very unique land. Some have referred to Israel as the center of the earth, uh, connecting Africa, Asia, and Europe. And so this is a unique land with unique Fruits and vegetables and all kinds of resources, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so on the Feast of Tabernacles, we remember all that God has provided and we pray for rain that there will be an overabundance of crops that will come as a result. So on this occasion, the Jewish people are pouring water and they're pouring wine. On this occasion, the Jewish people are constructing a tabernacle on the altar. On this occasion, there's a group of priests with these things in their hands that are circling the altar. And they're reciting the Psalms. And when that is happening, it is precisely at that moment, and this is what I want you to hear, Yeshua stands up. And it says that he spoke with a loud voice. You know, you don't often hear that in the scriptures. It's saying that he is shouting out for all to hear. And as he shouts out to them, he says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come unto me. For out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Even as all this water-pouring ceremony is occurring, Yeshua is utilizing all of this stuff to answer their prayer. Even as they are praying for rain, as they're praying for sustenance. You know, the rabbi said that when they prayed for rain, they weren't just praying for water to come from the sky, but they were praying for the Spirit of God to be poured out upon them like rain would be poured out upon the land, that we would not only have physical sustenance, but that we'd have a spiritual sustenance. And in fact, what they would read, and let me share this with you, because it all fits, it all ties together to show that Yeshua is the Messiah of Israel. In Isaiah chapter 12, in this great section of Isaiah called the book of Emmanuel, the book of the one who would be called Emmanuel, in chapter 12, it says, you will say in that day, what day? Whenever you see that day, it's the messianic era, the time of the kingdom. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. For though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. 
And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let him be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. That passage was recited right at the time when Yeshua was saying, come unto me. Why? Because the Holy One of Israel is now in your midst. And the rain that you are praying for and the Spirit of God that you desire to come and make you alive unto Him, you will draw waters out of the wells of salvation, out of your bellies, out of your innermost being, out of your heart, will flow not just water, but living water. That's what the Feast of Tabernacles is about. It's about God giving us His Spirit in order that, like the land of Israel, would be a place of life. We as individuals and collectively as a body, in this case Israel, in our case Beth Ariel, would be a place of life. And that we would be life givers and exhibitors And that our congregation as a whole would be a manifestation of the life of God in a dark and dying world. So how is that possible? Yeshua tells us, come unto me. There are no tricks to the trade. There's no seminars you could go to that's going to resolve your problems and your issues. It's all about coming unto Messiah. What does he say? Follow me. Time and time again, it's get, look at the book of Hebrews. The more we get a glimpse of the superiority of the Messiah to everything, it will change our lives. There's no tricks. It's all about being enamored by the presence of Messiah. It's all about being so impressed by him that you can do nothing less than live for him. It's all about having a sense of the greatness of the Holy One of Israel. That's what will change your life. Oh yeah, there you can get help from counselors. I have nothing against counselors. They've been a help to me. You can get advice from friends. I have nothing against advice. My friends are great friends and I look to them all the time. But at the end of the day, it is Him and Him alone that will bring us to the place where we all want to get to which is a place of peace. And what does Yeshua say? Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my burden or my yoke is easy. Right, thank you. Easy and my burden is light. You know? So where do we want to go? We want to go to him. I want you to come to Beth Ariel, but only so that you would go to him. I want you to read his words so that you will go to him. To the degree that we do that, you will find peace for your soul. You will find victory in your life. And you will find comfort in any kind of crisis, turmoil, or challenge. Not that the challenges won't be there. Not that they won't be crisis-oriented. They might be. But there will be a peace that will pass all understanding because you've come to Him. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers 
And if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.